Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Backstage With, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes with your favourite actors and creatives in the world of musical theatre. Hello, I'm Mikey Worrell. Today we're going backstage with Melissa Jakes, who's playing Margaret in Everybody's Talking About Jamie in the West End. Melissa joined the show last summer as the standby for Margaret, Ray and Miss Hedge, but now she's been promoted after Rebecca McInnes, who was previously playing the role, left to go and be in Dear Evan Hansen. We had a chat in Melissa's dressing room before a Wednesday matinee, about four weeks after she'd started playing the role full-time. Here's our conversation. I kind of tried not to get overwhelmed at the beginning because people were so, so kind on my first night. Flowers and gifts and cards and just messages from so many people, you know, people I don't even know, but have seen me in shows and understood Ian in the past. So I really tried not to get let myself get overwhelmed by that. But I think about a week later that came and bit me on the bum because I kind of did get a little bit overwhelmed and got myself in a little sticky patch but nothing that a little bit of relaxation and a massage and a little bit of uh, self-care and talking to sort of got me through and now now I'm good to go and getting stronger and stronger and I feel I feel even by Saturday Saturdays are the are the best shows of the week which I always thought must be so exhausting by Saturday night but I feel like as you get through the week you're sort of getting stronger and stronger and stronger as you go on Monday night is usually the hardest after having a day off I find Monday's really hard to sort of get back into it and then by midweek you're sort of in your groove again it's it's been a bit of a learning curve really you've gone from understudying three roles in the show to playing the the main female role mm. how has that been having the promotion oh it's been incredible and I'm so grateful to the creatives to Jonathan Buttrell and Dan Gillespie Sells Tom McCree and of course our producer Nika Burns for giving me this opportunity as they did with Rebecca McInnes as well it's been amazing. I loved playing all those three roles anyway. I'm sure if people that I know listening know that I didn't love playing Hedge because I had to rap and I felt so out of my comfort zone playing I'm sure you Hedge. nailed it. I don't know about me rapping really, but um, in the end I started to learn to love to play Hedge a little bit um, and I was on the week before I actually took over playing Margaret. So I had a week of Hedge and then all of a sudden I was back to Margaret, but I loved playing Ray. I'm going to miss Ray some nights when I'm on in those scenes and I sort of I think oh just one more bash one more bash because she's just I am from Sheffield and so women like Ray I grew up with you know they are my mum's friends they are my friends now gosh I'm I'm old now but they're like they're my school my schoolmates from and they're aunties and my parents friends and so I see a lot of a lot of people I know in these characters so I really loved and will miss playing Ray but um, I'm a mama so I love playing Margaret. How did the takeover come about? Did you have to audition still? I'm, I'm guessing you would have found out that Rebecca was leaving to go do Dear Evan Hansen quite early on. Yeah well we didn't know that she was doing that because obviously it's all very um, these days things because of social media things are so locked up. So, locked up. Yeah. I just knew that she had obviously got a job something that was you know a real sort of career move for her because you wouldn't just walk away from this amazing job you know this amazing part and show so 
I'm sure everyone had their, um, had, you know, was had their, the cogs were turning, yeah. had their suspicions. Yeah, of course. It, it really did come out of the blue. I just had a call one day to say that they would they would really love you. Rebecca is leaving and they would love you to take over. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, I, that, um, that's so rare to not even have to go in the room. and. No, and I think I, think I didn't have to go in the room because I'd done it a lot. And my audition initially for the show was in the stalls bar with all the creatives and Nika and our associate um, director, George. Um, and I read... I read Margaret and I sang He's My Boy. That was my audition. So I'd like to think that maybe in the back of their minds, they thought that one day that, you know, that would be the natural progression and the natural movement for me in uh, within the show. Do you think enough shows promote understudies? I don't know about enough. I think there definitely are some that do. And um, I know that Wicked are really great for that. I was a part of that. In fact, I've been a part of it on quite a few shows. When I was at Wicked, um, Emma Hatton was the standby and uh, she moved up. And then once I'd left and I remember chatting to Alice Fern one night, who's a friend and she was standby at the time. And I said, what are we thinking? And she she didn't know at that time. But then that was the natural progression for her. And, you know, there's only there's only one reason why you're the standby or the understudy is because you are good enough to play that role it happened we had a beautiful moment at kinky boots where it happened um second cover simon anthony roden took over and we were all there to witness jerry jerry mitchell tell us all on stage that that was going to happen that's one of the most amazing stagey showbiz moments i've ever been um witness to that was really beautiful so it is it is a really amazing thing to do because People work hard. And for a second cover to get that opportunity. Exactly. And he he really worked hard. And we do. We we have to be on top of our game. Yes, we get the rehearsal time. We get blocked into the show. We get sessions with musical directors. The main bulk of it is your own work and you refining your own take on the role. And also, I realise now when I'm sort of doing it every night, I think, gosh, remember on that bit, I always used to worry that I was getting those words wrong or I used to always not do this in that in the same way and it's because you're not doing it every night and as much as you think I've understood it a lot but I think as I've got older as well I used to think why am I not getting that line right and I think it's because it's not the repetition that you get you'll do you might do three shows and then you might sit upstairs in the green room for a month so as much as you've got it in your, in, in your head, and I am experienced as a cover to go on at the drop of a hat or in the interval, which I have done before on really big shows. As I've gotten older, I don't think the brain power, I don't know, I don't know whether the brain power's there, but, you know, I think it's, I think it's wonderful when it does happen and it just shows loyalty and uh, respect as well that the, the, the creatives and the producers believe that you are fully capable of, of playing the role that you've been understood in. It's a testament to the employer and the employee. Exactly. And I think that's that's been a lot of the feel on Twitter. You know, Jamie has a lot of amazing fans, lots of them. And even people that aren't fans of the show have said, that they've seen that this has happened a year ago with Rebecca. So I think everyone was just like, you know what? Shows should follow suit for, with everybody's talking about Jamie and uh, hopefully more of it will happen. Your dressing room is already feeling very cosy to say you've been in here less than a month. I know. What did you What did you do when you got in here? Um, what did I do when I got in here? I put some fairy lights up and I, my friends bought me some beautiful champagne glasses. So they're out, which is a bit theatrical, isn't it? And I bought a lovely throw for the bed. Yes, I am very, very lucky and fortunate enough to have a bed in my dressing room. I mean, 
I'm sure a sofa was there once upon a time. I don't know where the bed. I, I think the bed might have been Michael Crawford, you know? Oh, really? Because I know he was here, so he was pub- What pub- did he do here? Um, the go-between. Oh, so I yeah. think maybe, he, you know, he's maybe. an elderly gentleman now. So I got a lovely throw for that and some cushions. It's I'm very still, comfortable. I'm, I'm still just, not I'm still, quite you, it is quite a, <laughs> It's quite a springy bed. Uh, I'm not quite done. I'm going to get a little rug and some some new curtains or a blind or something but yeah it's been really nice to sort of oh and drawings yeah drawings from the girls my children the nine and five and uh this one i got when i took over this is from my youngest and i was like why the fangs and she said well it's nearly halloween so is that you with fangs (laughs) that's me with fangs because it's nearly halloween and a rainbow (laughs) rainbow and then this one congratulation (laughs) mummy so happy you got the part <laughs> oh that's wonderful so yeah so it's nice it's nice to have a little um, a little home and a little base especially when I am a busy mum and I am sort of it's nice to just come here and have a little bit of time on my own mm-hmm. I mean I had a fabulous time upstairs with the gals but I was all probably old enough to be their mum so <laughs> when you were covering all three parts and you were in the green room like you say mm. What was the latest with this show? What was the latest notice you got that you had to go on? Was there ever a mid-show? Uh, I've never done a mid-show on this job. I have done in the past, but usually by late afternoon or, you know, maybe at like five o'clock if somebody all of a sudden feels like they're coming in and they think they're okay and then, you, you know, you never know what happens. People get stuck on tubes in tunnels. People all of a sudden feel fine and then get here and then, you know, get food poisoning or something, you know. But um, I've no, I've never been sort of at the half or... At beginners or in the interval on this show I've always had plenty of notice yeah there's a mental health aspect to that too isn't there when people can get in and I've seen like Broadway actors tweet about the fact that they've they've just their brain has gone today you can't do it yeah. has that ever happened to you yeah I mean last night I've just mentioned to you as you came in that um I didn't feel very well last night and I I don't I just I felt a bit unwell I felt tired I felt dizzy I felt hot I felt sick I haven't been any of those things well I'm tired <laughs> but I, the fear then of being on stage and then when I, so when I came off from the last scene with, with Leighton I just cried and I think it's because there was the relief of not of those things not happening to me on stage I was thinking you're in the middle of a number you're thinking what if all of a sudden I have to be sick or what if I'm going to pass out you know and, and when you get to the end of the show and none of those things happened the relief and the release rather was like a f- little bit of a mini breakdown in the in the back corridor with mascara all over me and people throwing wipes and tissues at me. I was just like, no, I think I'm going to be okay, you know. But um, I don't think I've ever, you know, touch wood, I've never got to um, a point where I just thought I can't, I can't do it today, which I'm so grateful for. I think my brain's a bit too busy. I've got lots of balls in the air and spinning plates. And you have to be mum, so I guess that probably it's takes a distraction. Over. Yeah, it is a distraction. And in the old days when I was understudying at Mamma Mia, and I'd be on for like two weeks as Donna, I just constant checking your voice, checking your voice, checking your voice. Then first thing you do, wake up in the morning, check your voice. Well, when you're doing that, what's going to happen to your voice? It's going to go because well, it's not going to go, but your brain's going to tell it it's going. And so the stress, you'll just work yourself into a frenzy that you'll get to a point where you can't sing. And these later years, since I have become a parent, and it's kind of the last thing I think about. I get to work and I think, oh yeah, have a little warm up. Oh yeah, fi- voice is fine because I haven't had to think about, it. I haven't had to sit all day and think about it. So I think people these days, you know, young people coming into the business are so busy. They go to the gym, they meditate, they take class. You know, they do a lot of a lot more self care now than we used to in the in the early days. You know, I remember working on a on a show with a girl who was from Australia 
and she was an incredible singer incredible singer and her voice just disappeared one day and uh, she was homesick she was homesick and she was therefore emotional and stressed and upset and her voice just was like no you have to sort this out to be able to sort this out and it's the first thing that that happens but um you know if you can keep um a lot of you know pma it'll get through totally you mentioned you're from yorkshire i am i am too oh where from pontefract okay not too far not too far i don't, you don't sound like you're from pontefract i lost i lost my accent <laughs> pontefract is a hell of it's, an accent it, as know, well because it's near barnsley it is it's 10 <laughs> it's 10 years since i lived there but okay. i don't know it just went wow maybe i wanted it to I maybe you wanted it i'm to, not ashamed i'm I'm 25 years away from home now. In January, well, I've been in London 25 years. And I definitely think I've still got... Oh, definitely. Yeah. yeah. And and being on this show is so much more... It's mo- so much stronger. I'll speak to my mum and mum's like, oh, Melissa. You know, or I see my <laughs> friends or I'll voice note some friends. Like, I've got dressing room group friends, you know, on WhatsApp chats from all different shows. And they were like... You are so northern, and it's just because I'm 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 in it. I'm I'm in my own accent. So if I'm going to be in it, it's just it's here a lot at the moment. And my husband's also from Sheffield as well. So, um, so you hear it a lot. I hear it a yeah. lot. Yeah, and you know, you you speak to your parents. My best friend's from Belfast. She doesn't have a Belfast accent whatsoever until she's been on the phone to her sister or she's been home. And I'll sp- I'll FaceTime her and I'll say, and she'll talk to me and I'll say you just put the phone down from Claire and she's like yeah and I was like you can tell you just I, maybe you'll like it when you go home oh completely <laughs> especially if I go home without my boyfriend yeah. and then I'll come back and I'll start dropping my T's and, <laughs> and saying ah instead of I and you know how it is you know I how do it is. know how it is the reason I brought that up was I've seen the show a few times and the thing I always take away from it is that it's such an accurate portrayal of urban Yorkshire life mm. in a way that actually we don't see that much of yeah. in, in films and TV yeah. and theatre yeah. you know you see lots of sort of provincial portrayals and lots yeah. of like quirky country life but <laughs> yeah. in terms of like raw Sheffield this is so accurate isn't it I think that's all down to our creator whose idea it was based on which was Jonathan Buttrell who's Sheffield boy <laughs> and obviously the original documentary Jamie Campbell is from the northeast. I think it's like somewhere in County around, Durham. In County it? Durham, yeah. So one of those kind of like old mining villages up there. So it was much more northeastern. I mean it's it's the same kind of thing. Small you know, small town, boy in a dress. It's gonna be big news. But um I think Jonathan is so whenever we have no sessions with him, he just brings us back to to reset like back to Sheffield back to and you have to think like Sheffield people as well I remember doing a dialect session on a show where I had to be American and the dialect coach said to me you have to think like an American as well because you know a lot of Americans don't really I think the British are we're very polite and we have a little bit of a filter and we'll have a little think about what we're about to say Americans you know they just they can just say what they want to say which I, I absolutely commend so you have to put yourself in that mindset as well of Sheffield folk and you know this it's a big council estate set on a very big council estate I didn't grow up on a council estate myself but I grew up in quite quite a you know not a rough part of town but not not a, a you know like a real working class part of town I went to quite a rough comp myself and like I say I these people I grew up with these people I know and there's this the particularly there's a scene at the end my man my boy where Jamie's got to apologize mum's got to apologize for where they've got to but nobody's nobody's sitting down and going I'm so sorry this is how I felt and I need to tell you that 
because Sheffield Yorkshire folk don't do that. We'd just be like, you're all right? Yeah, all right. You know what I mean? Everything's like, as long as we're okay with each other. Mm. My family, we're like that. We might have a little bit of a disagreement, but then it's completely washed over and nobody talks about it anymore. Instead of sort of like going, why did you feel like that? You just, we, we, we don't do that. So this scene is so important. There's a lot of stuff going on underneath the surface, but on the top of it, it's just like, right, well, I'm sorry and I'm sorry and, and I won't be where I am, you know, but it's all very much on the... Brimming. Yeah, it's very it's brimming because there's a lot more underneath and it's not the end of it either. It's not the end of the story by any means. You know, they have a hug, but that doesn't mean, oh, everything's and they all lived happily ever after. It's not that at all because you have to you have to think like Yorkshire folk as well. That is such a Yorkshire thing. I know. And you think back and you sort of think, gosh, we had that really big miss, but nobody talked about it ever after that. Because you don't. It's so true. It's, 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 it's a thing. It's just like all on the surface, like, oh, well, get on with it. Forget it. You know, and I think that's probably why we get such a true portrayal of Sheffield and of these people that are on a council set that are so diverse as well from all different backgrounds and nationalities. And that is what Sheffield's like. You know, I mean, every city's like it now, you know, it's a huge melting pot. We all went to school with with people from all different parts of the world, especially in Sheffield and in my school we did. So um, it's got to be relative. And that's why the show is so relevant and so now like you say it's just so representative so representative yeah, that's the word I was looking for well done Maggie that's all right. <laughs> I listened to an interview with Dan Gillespie Sells the other day where he said that when he was writing it in his head each character's songs were written as if they were performed by that person's internal pop star wow um, amazing and Margaret he said was written with he was sort of projecting Dusty Springfield I was going to say that. I bet it's Dusty Springfield do you see it in the same way absolutely and when I first ever heard he's my boy was quite a few years ago now probably about four years ago now and I was up I was auditioning for the workshop I think it was like the second workshop that they'd ever done and I had my MD of the show I was in at the time play through it for me and it's the first thing I thought I was like because I could do a big Dusty Springfield number so absolutely for sure yes you do channel that but there's a lot of storytelling to do in that it's, it's, it's a big thing I try not to make it such a big song you know so that you don't get overwhelmed by how big it is and you've got to have range as well because it goes right down there and then it goes right up there so uh, yes thank you Dan uh, for that but yeah and also going back to Jonathan and and him talking about the show his main thing when he had this idea is said that the, the score had to be pop because it's about year 11 it's about 16 year old kids so it had to be a pop score I know it sounds really simple but as soon as he said that and this was in like the second cast change so I'd not really done a cast change so I'd not stood in a circle and been talked to you know by by the creators um I'd sort of slipped in my own last summer on my own sort of thing and as soon as he said that I thought of course of course it had to be that's why it's so current that's why it's so that's why that's why kids are relating to it so well well people of all ages songs in particular like he's my boy the songs are just so good mm. that has got to be one of the best musical theater ballads around on, at the moment if ever i think you're absolutely right on a saturday i'm a lucky girl um on a saturday night when i'm singing that song towards the end and i've got the big old notes at the end and I'm, it sounds really stagey but living your dream and this is exactly what i set out to do 25 years ago and i'm looking up towards the gods and the follow spots are on and i'm singing those big old notes at the end and i just think i am singing the best song for a female in a musical right now in the West End, right now. It's Saturday night. It's the night we all want to go to the theatre. And I, I think, I think personally, I'm doing, I'm singing the best part 
of any song in the West End at the moment. I absolutely agree. I mean, there obviously are some incredible songs around for women. You know, someone singing Defying Gravity, you know, Lucy Jones has given us that beautiful song at Waitress, but I don't know. I just think... This is the equivalent. I don't think it gets any better than that, especially at that moment. And they're pinch me moments for me, you know. I just think it literally cannot get any better than this. I've got goosebumps. And the way you described that... I better not leave, eh? (laughs) No, don't. (laughs) The way you just described that, though, with with the lights and just giving all that on a Saturday night, how do you, like you said earlier about not letting it overwhelm you, how do you sort of rein that in and then use it to give you the power? You're, uh, you're in the moment, you know. But, they, you know, there's a lot of technical stuff that goes with that as well. My voice is, I have to do, I've got a natural voice, but I've got a lot of gear changes that I have to manoeuvre around during that number. Some has to go into this part of your voice, some has to go in that part. Then you have to make sure you've breathed on that bit. And, you know, so it's quite a technical thing for me to do on top of making sure you tell all this story, but also on the top of not, again, going back to being Sheffield folk, not getting overly emotional, just really trying to, it's her just trying to think it all out for herself without falling onto her knees and looking up to the gods and crying. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's, there's a big, the big moment at the end before then she comes back and it's a quiet moment. And I've, I've, I have it on good authority from the director. I'm allowed to take as long as I like there because it's going from that to then this list of things, which is again, coming back to a smaller voice when you've just sung something really big. So again, it's another change, but during that change as an actor, there's another little change as well. So I am sweating when I come off. I'm not surprised. <laughs> from that, you know, you do have to have a little moment. Um, I'll either be really emotional when I come off or I'll be really relieved when I've come off that it's gone well or I'll just be so hot and like literally like sweating under my arms. But um, it's it's a thought process and it's sort of like, I don't know, maybe I'm speaking just for myself, but that's how, that's how I get from A to Z throughout that song. There are so many different things to think about, but hopefully I'm what people are only seeing is me telling the story and not about anything <laughs> technical. Sure they are, sure they are. Uh-huh. Is there a, a line that you sing in the show, whether it's in that song or another one, that's particularly powerful or, or resonates with you or that you treasure? I love at the end of uh, Met Myself Again, where she says, but if I did, if I dared, there's a price I would pay and I'd lose because I won't have my son. I think, you know, she sort of, that whole song is like, if I went back and I told myself then to that girl stay away from that guy he's trouble you you know he won't see you through to the end of this uh, journey and she wishes that she could probably I'd say stay away from him is what she says but actually at the end of that song she's like but if I had have done that I wouldn't I wouldn't have Jamie so that that I always that always really sort of I love that moment as well because the the music drops out the beautiful contemporary number that's gone the girls kind of we've sort of kind of clocked eyes it's by no means a representation of that's Margaret and dad um, but it's just a relationship and they sort of kind of they don't lock eyes but they're aware that I've seen her upset she's seen me going through something and she runs off and I'm left with just the piano just very simple and the realization of thinking, actually, I won't have, I wouldn't have Jamie. So, you know, is that 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 I think is really beautiful. I want to just talk about Mamma Mia a little bit. <laughs> you were in. I, I read this earlier. You were in the original cast, and you were, you must have been the I youngest. Am that old? No, no, no. But you must have been the youngest Donna cover in ever. the world. 
I think I was, I was only 27. And I have been on, when I was second cover, I have been on Plain Donna to Sophie's that were older than me. Wow. Only by a year or two years. Maybe I was like 26. They were 27, 28. First covers and the girl that was playing. Amanda Salmon was like maybe one year older than me. I don't want to tell people's ages away now. But And another girl who was the first cover... And they were both like a year older than me. And I was on their plane, Donna, playing their mum. It was crazy. Absolutely crazy. crazy. When, I, when I eventually took over as alternate, they made me go brunette. They dyed my hair brown to make me look a bit older, to mature me a little bit. Because I think the blonde makes you just a little bit... I mean, I wouldn't need to do that now because I am obviously... Well, I'm probably too old to play Donna now. <laughs> no. Um, I've sort of gone past that sort of threshold now. But um, but yeah, I was only... Um, I probably was 26 the first time I played it and 27 when I was the alternate full-time, which I did for a couple of years. Well, quite a few. <laughs> in, in, in and around having my first child. <laughs> yeah. Do you have fond memories of that show? Oh, massive part of my life. Massive part of my life. I grew up there. I kind of I went to college I went to a wonderful college I went to London School of Musical Theatre had an amazing year there then I left there and went and did pantos and summer seasons and pantos and summer seasons and rep jobs and stuff but I really feel like my real grounding and training even began when I was there because I was a swing I'd never been a swing before I'm not the world's best dancer so I kind of covered the the singers tracks but I definitely had to learn Scarlett Strallon's dance track you know and that was full on so uh, I had to learn to be a swing I had to learn to understudy and I had to learn to understudy three roles so it's like a swinging a swing for the dynamos and a swing for the ensemble so yeah I, I grew up there and you know the people that I was in that original cast with were at my wedding you know and I was just at someone else's wedding like we're we are we have a very special bond there and I think a lot of that was down to the fact that in the old days at the Prince Edward and at the Prince of Wales we used to booth uh, the, all the BVs were live and we'd be in the side of the stage doing the BVs live in booths so you were always together all the time and I think that paid to the fact that we were just like this big family and even if you've not been in the show with a certain person but you know that they were in Mamma Mia you feel like you know them and you're like oh yeah but then you realise oh no we didn't do it together yet we're really good friends because you're part of this special, this really special thing. Yeah, friends for life there. And I understood some of my heroes, you know. Louise Plowright, God love her. She she left us a couple of years ago. She passed away. But Lindsay Haightley, Sally Ann Tripler, all these women that when I was at college, I wanted to be. And there I was being their understudy. It was, again, it was a pinch me moment. And, you know, they are, again, friends for life. I mean, Sal lives in New York now, but Lindsay, I'm still very much in touch with. And they're just legends you know try to educate the young ones coming in now like you need to know who these people are you know they led the way for women in musical theatre do you think times have changed though since then and a lot of people seem to go to college a bit younger now yeah and do you think that the whole learning on the job attitude has disappeared possibly a lot of people seem to work straight away now they come straight out of college and they haven't even left college and they're working we've got two beautiful girls in this company that go to college every day they're still at Conti's they go into college every day and then they come and do a West End show at night I mean they are living the dream beyond but when I did Kinky Boots one boy he'd not even graduated before he started in the show I feel like that didn't happen in my day you kind of went and earned not earned your stripes I don't mean to be disrespectful but you kind of went away and grafted a bit and then when you came to do a western show I don't know maybe I would have 
just learned a bit earlier. You know, if I'd have, it just wasn't, it just didn't happen that way for me. It happens very differently for everybody. I mean, you could say that, but look, look at Lindsay Haley. She was 16 playing Carrie, you know, True. she was 18 when she was Eponine. She was 19 or 20 when she was the narrator. So what do I know? Who knows? <laughs> Who are your musical theatre heroes now? Now? Currently? Yeah. Or, well, still people like Lindsay Haley, Sally Ann Triplett, Jenna Russell. I greatly admire her and respect her. Um, I have a lot. Of, she's just, she's just got it. She's just got all the chops. Josie Walker, who played uh, Margaret here, I've always been a massive fan of her. And I've sort of known Josie since I was at college. Um, she was just starting and I just coming out of college as well with James Gillen, who's in the company here. We sort of did something together. And then I remember being in this studio just with all these, all these amazing people recording something and then and, and then I sort of followed her career and I was then in town when she was doing things like Beautiful Game. So always had a huge, I think she's amazing in most things that she does. Pretty sure I've forgotten lots of people, but people that I really love. I mean, I saw Company with Patti Lapone. I mean, you know, it's, it's stuff like that, that just these amazing people. I went with some amazing alphabets, you know, Louise Dearman, I think is absolutely phenomenal. Rachel Tucker is incredible. I worked with her when we were on tour with the Full Monty and to watch how her career has just, just gone the way it is, is just amazing. Um, Villamine Vakoko, the Dutch lady, I was at Wicked with her. Yeah, just... You were at Wicked at a great time, I weren't was, you? I was, I was. We're some amazing... Because Louise Dearman was my Elphaba, but she's the only woman in the world to play Glinda and Elphaba. So, yeah, I had really special time at... Um, special and sad, because I was there to understudy my friend Louise, but she, that's she, That's when she was ill. So that was it, it was difficult for that, but I loved being in that show. I loved playing Madame Morab. I loved wearing those costumes and... Yeah, yeah, Good special time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your quarter stage for this afternoon's warm up. Your quarter stage for this afternoon's warm up. Thank you. Our time is up. <laughs> Just lastly, yeah. we're approaching the second birthday of Jamie. Yes. That's really exciting. It is really exciting for me because we usually, when we have new people come in, you know, because we have quite a lot of people three months and we have a press night or a little gala night for people there's usually a sort of a night to celebrate those new people coming in. And so we've not done that yet for myself and Phil Nickel returning and our new two um, year 11s, Alex and Tilly. We've not had that yet. So they're going to tie that in with the second birthday as well. So I feel like it'll be a really special night for me. And I, you know, may not be massively special for everybody. It's the second birthday, but I think it's amazing that the show's got to this point and 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 it's a it's a big night for me it's a big moment in my life for me so I will have all my family there and my best friend and people that have helped me through uh have got me to where I am today I will be with them on that night and I will really want to celebrate so um so yeah so I'm gonna wear a big frock and you don't even know it I don't care you, I'm gonna you deserve do it, it. <laughs> Thank congratulations you. thanks very much thank you for your time oh you're welcome thank you Everybody's Talking About Jamie is currently booking until August next year at the Apollo Theatre in the West End. Next time on the podcast, we're going backstage with Oliver Ormson, who's playing Rob in High Fidelity at the Turbine Theatre in Battersea. To make sure you don't miss it, just subscribe on your podcast app. See you next time. <laughs>